If you'll turn in your Bibles to Romans, the 10th chapter this morning, this will probably be the last sermon in the series of sermons that I've been doing about defending and explaining the doctrine of the primitive Baptist. And I went through that pretty thoroughly, I felt like. And when it was finished, I started going through a few of the things that as you discuss what the primitive Baptists believe with other people, we went through a couple of things that scriptures that or topics that you might find presented to you as a, a way to prove something against the primitive Baptist doctrine. We went through John 3.16 last week and tried to look at it and see how it fits into the primitive Baptist doctrine because as the Bible says, the scripture cannot be broken. The scripture has to be whole and complete and everything has to harmonize with one another. You know, I don't want to believe in something that forces me to overlook parts of the Bible, ignore parts of the Bible. I want to be able to look from start to finish and see how it harmonizes with one another. And that just takes time. It's The Lord says that He is a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. And sometimes I feel like our understanding in the Scripture, the way we view harmonize, the harmonization of the Scripture, it comes from study. It comes from diligently seeking and trying to rightly divide the word of truth and the Bible also tells us this, that much studiness, much study is a weariness of the flesh. And so while there are things in the Bible that are so simple that even a child can understand them at a young age, uh, it does require us as we grow to grow in knowledge and to rightly divide the word of truth. And so Romans, the 10th chapter is a chapter and some of the verses in this chapter is a place that somebody is going to go when you present them with the doctrine of salvation by grace alone, which we've covered all of that. I'm not going to go through that again. But when you present that to somebody, Romans the 10th chapter, probably second to John 3.16, is a place that people are going to go to try to refute what you are telling them that you believe. And I want to look at Romans the 10th chapter. Some of you may have heard sermons on this before. But I think it's very important that we understand what exactly is being talked about in Romans 10. And so I want to read Romans the 10th chapter to you, or, or at least part of it. In verse 1 it says, this is Paul writing, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Now if I just left it right there, and I didn't tell you another thing in Romans the 10th chapter, and I told you, that Paul's desire here is for the people he is writing to to not go to hell. And I just left it there. I could probably convince you that that's what he's talking about. Especially, especially if I skipped the next six, seven, eight, nine verses and I said something to you like this, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, if I cut and pasted, if you will, those three verses out of that, and then I preached a sermon that just described hell as the most terrible place, and that Paul does not want anybody to go there, and he is laying out a recipe for how people can escape. I could probably convince people that maybe weren't 
familiar with what I'm going to preach to you this morning, I might could be pretty convincing that that's what he's talking about. But I remember Sonny Pyle said in the sermon one time, and I thought it, for some reason it stuck with me. He talked about the dangers of taking one or two little verses out of a big passage and trying to build a doctrine on just those passages. He said the key, similar to a, a door, he said if, the, if you go up to a door and it is locked, and it's, maybe it's not your house or, you know, you're going to, to water somebody's plants or feed their dog when they're out of town and you go up and the door is locked. He said, oftentimes the key to that doorknob is either above the door, over the, uh, the top of the seal there, or it's uh, at the bottom under the mat. And he said, scriptures are a lot like that. He said, if you find a scripture, really in order to unlock that scripture, you got to look a little bit before the scripture and you got to look after the scripture to really put it into context. And so if I only took three verses out of this section here in Romans, the 10th chapter, I'm really not getting the full context and I'm not really able to unlock what Paul's saying in Romans 10. So he says, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Now remember, we talked about belief in John, the John 3.16 sermon that was last week. We talked and proved through the scriptures that belief is not a means to get eternal life. Belief is, belief is an evidence that you have eternal life. And so he says, Christ is the end of the law for, every, to, uh, for righteousness to everyone that believeth or is in a current state of believing. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, Say not in thine heart who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thine heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm going to stop right there, and that's the 13 verses there that I'm going to look at. And you say, wow, if you were trying to put it into context for me, Brother Luke, I don't think you did a very good job because this takes some rightly dividing. It takes slowing down and looking at what he's actually saying. Now, I will say this, the absolute key, one thing that you absolutely must understand when you read through the Bible is that every time that you read about salvation or a desire to be saved or do this in order to be saved, you must understand, and I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, that there are, there's a salvation from the wrath of God in eternity. That's an eternal salvation. But there is a, there is a salvation 
from the habits and dominion and the effects and the consequences of sin that we experience in this life. There is no anybody that, that comes to me and says, I do not believe in such a thing as time salvation. As, as Brother Buddy Abernathy says, well, I'm just going to tell them you just need to go read the Bible. Because if anything in the Bible stands out to me clearly, it is the concept of obedience will deliver us and save us from certain things in this life. I think over in, I believe it's Proverbs, the 23rd chapter, where it gives a very strong warning about the effects of wine, the effects of drunkenness. And it talks about, you know, uh, who has redness of the eyes, who has wounds without cause. I think I've told you this before, too. I had a guy come in the office one day and uh, he had he didn't he'd lost his front four teeth. And he was a young guy and he had good teeth, but he had no teeth in the front. And I said, man, what in the world happened? Do you have a four-wheeler wreck or do you, you know, what, what happened to you? And he said, uh, I went to a club and I was dancing and I was drunk and I fell and I hit the floor and knocked my front four teeth out. I thought, who has wounds without cause? There was absolutely no reason for you to have lost your front four teeth, but you didn't take heed to what Proverbs 23, uh, the 23rd chapter of Proverbs said. And now you are wounded for no reason. It's a silly reason for you to come into my office without your front four teeth. He could have saved himself if he would have just listened to what God's word said. That's a time salvation. And it's, and it's all throughout the Bible. So you've got to understand that. Now, let me say this. On the eternal side, eternal salvation, the Bible tells us that it is by grace that we are saved. It does not tell us it is by grace that you are made savable. It says the finished work of salvation is by grace. The Bible also tells us that if it is by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. So it tells us that works and grace cannot be equal parts of the equation that put a person into the heavenly realm. It has to be either by your works or it has to be by grace. It cannot be both. And I'd love to preach on that more, but for right now, that's what I want to give you. And the takeaway of that is any time in the Bible where you read about something that must be done, a, uh, a condition that must be met in order to receive some type of salvation, you automatically know that it is not talking about eternity. Based on the word of God, it can't be. You're either going to be in heaven because of what you have done, or you're going to be in heaven because what, has Christ, what Christ has done for you, but you will not be in heaven because of both. And so when we understand that, let me give you a, let me give you a couple of examples very, very quickly here. I think about the time that, I believe it's in the book of Acts, where Paul is on a ship and the ship is getting tossed all around and the people on the ship are scared and they start, uh, they start crying out, can, you know, can we abandon the ship? Permission to abandon the ship. And Paul says to them, except ye abide in the ship, ye cannot be saved. Now what he's telling them there is, if you jump out of the ship, you are certainly going to die. 
The only hope you've got of survival is to stay in the ship. But when he tells them, unless you stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Is he talking about heaven and hell? No, he's talking about surviving in this life. I think about in 1 Corinthians, and this is the one I like to use the most, that Paul writes to them and says, um, he talks about the gospel being preached. He said, by the gospel, by this, you are saved if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you. Now, as he's saying to them, if you forget what was preached last Sunday, you're going to hell. We hope not, right? I preached last Sunday and I have to stop and think about it. But he's saying, if you forget what God's word says and you start mowing your own path through life, he says, you've got no hope of getting it figured out yourself. You are doomed to be consumed by the darknesses of this world. He's not talking about eternal salvation. He's talking about surviving in this life. I could give you probably 50 different examples where the Bible talks about do this to be saved. And it's talking about from the snares and the habits, the dominions and the consequences of sin in this life. Understanding that, let's go back to Romans, the 10th chapter for a second. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. The next question is from what? Is he saying, I'm praying that they're saved from the wrath of God in eternity? Or is he saying, I pray to God that they can be saved from some sort of snare or bondage in this life? Which one is it? Well, let's go looking for the key, right? Let's go a little bit up or a little bit below and see if we can find what he's talking about. He says, for I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. So listen, zeal is not the issue. Fire is not the issue. Excitement about these spiritual things is not the issue. These are not God-hating people. They're excited about God. They're probably in the sanctuary. Um, Every time that they meet, they're probably out doing good deeds. And we would look at them and say, man, that's a fine person. They would give you the shirt off of their back. You see, they've got a zeal of God. But... It's not according to knowledge. Now listen, this this idea, this concept right here of having a zeal of God, but not according to to knowledge is a thread that runs through all of time. And it is very evident today. I have been guilty of having a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. And then he says, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness... And going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves under the righteousness of God. So what he's telling them here is you're in bondage. He's saying you're in bondage to something because Paul says the bondage that you are in grieves me. I am not your zeal of God is not on trial here. He said your knowledge of God is on trial here. That's what we've got to look at. And he says, he uses a pretty strong word there that says ignorant. You know, you go up and call somebody ignorant, you know, they may punch you in the face. He says, they're ignorant about something. And that's just his way of saying they lack knowledge about something. And what it is that they lack knowledge of was something that the Jews struggle with uh, 
on a lot of different occasions, you can go back and read the book of Galatians uh, and you can see how they struggle with this. He says, they're ignorant about God's righteousness and they are going about to establish their own righteousness. Now, we see that today. I, I, I can remember a particular time before I came to the Primitive Baptist Church, I was leading a, a group of about 15 young men, maybe 15, 16, 17 years old, something like that. And I went around and I asked them, I said, tell me, where do you put your confidence that you're going to be in heaven one day? What, what, what do you sink your teeth into? And when you lay in your bed at night and you say, it's because of this that I will be in heaven one day. Tell me what that is for you. And we went around the room. One of them said, well, try to go to church every time that, that I can. One of them, uh, I remember saying, uh, well, I pray. One of them said, uh, I, do, uh, I try to do right. I try to do good things. Uh, I remember there was a time that I went and knocked on a lady's door, and I think I've told you this. I knocked on a lady's door, and I asked her the same question. And her answer was, because I'm a Jew, and I have been to Jerusalem, and I have walked the very streets that Jesus walked. And that was her answer. And so when she put her confidence in that experience to, to validate her belief that she would be in heaven one day. And so... You know, as I, as I went around the room with that boys, I, I, I got all types of answers, but I did not get the answer that had anything to do with what Christ did. Not one single person mentioned what Christ did. But you know what, I, what those boys, what I saw right there? The boys were there because they had a zeal of God. They were there. They were not God-hating, church-hating people. They were fine young men and zealous. But they were going about trying to establish their own righteousness by saying, it is because of what I have done that I'm going to be righteous and in heaven. It's because I attended church. It's because I pray. It's because I, I, I. And that is very, very common. If I walk the streets today, and I don't say this to be ugly or to, to try to belittle our friends and, and other denominations, but if I walked the streets today and found people and asked them that same question, I would get because I was baptized. Because I prayed a prayer. Because I accepted. Because I, 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 I. Their righteousness, in their mind, they established their own righteousness because they believed that we were made savable by grace. And Paul said, and listen, that's a terrible way to have to live life, to put confidence in your own flesh for doing what is necessary to try to get to heaven. That's a burden God never intended us to bear. And Paul says... Paul's got enough love for these people that it breaks his heart. And he says, I want you to be delivered from that bondage. Do you remember when I read to you in Acts 15? Uh, what did Peter say? Why are we going to put them back under this yoke of bondage that neither us nor our fathers were able to bear? 
And Paul says, these people believe that they're trying to establish their own righteousness and it breaks my heart. He said, they're zealous, but it's not according to knowledge because they're ignorant of God's righteousness and they're going about to establish their own righteousness and have not submitted themselves under the righteousness of God. You know, when I feel like I truly submitted myself to the righteousness of God is when I came to the understanding that all of my righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And that I had no righteousness to offer. I had no good works to offer. And it was had to be solely and 100% by the mercy and grace of the Lord that I'm anything but a reprobate and a wretch. That's when you submit to God's righteousness. But when we walk around saying, yeah, what I did and what the Lord did combined to, to make an awesome thing and put me in heaven. You're putting your confidence in your own righteousness. And what does Paul say? I believe it's Paul. He says, I, having no confidence in the flesh. I believe, I think it was Charles Spurgeon. I can't remember exactly, but I, I read sometime where a guy said, <laughs> he said, our own will can't cure us of a sore thumb. What makes you think that your will can save you from hell? Amen. I thought, well, that's pretty well said. Tell you what I'm going to end up doing. I'm going to break this into two parts because it's important that we get to the second part of this and I'm out of time. When we pick up next time, I want you to have in your mind that there are two different types of salvations. Paul is talking about them being saved. You will not find one single thing in here that mentions a person going to heaven or hell. You will find nothing like that. You will, the only mention of heaven or hell is when it talks about Christ coming down from heaven and then Christ being resurrected back to heaven. No mention at all of a person going to heaven or hell. So Paul says, I want you to be saved from this ignorance because this ignorance will put you in bondage. Because one day you'll think, yeah, I'm going to heaven. The next day you'll think, I, you know, I'm a terrible wretch and I have failed. I knew a lady one time that literally believed that if you sinned and did not ask for forgiveness after that sin and you died before you asked forgiveness for that particular sin that you went to hell. Oh my goodness. What bondage is that? To think, oh my goodness, I just thought something I shouldn't have and I better ask for it. Too bad, you just died. That's bondage. I can tell you from my own personal experience, bondage is also laying in bed at night wondering if you really, 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 really meant that prayer. That's bondage. That's trying to put confidence in your own righteousness. Next time I talk to you, I want to talk to you about, based on what we learned today, what does it mean that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved? What does it mean when he says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He has a desire for them to be saved from the bondage of the law. And he's given them the recipe of how to do that. We'll talk more about that next week. I hope that's been profitable for you.